Welcome to the No Water Methodist Church Podcast, where we hope to encourage you in your spiritual journey so that you may be a blessing to your local church and to the world. Today's the last day of Romans. 16 chapters. We've been doing this for 16 weeks. Chapter 16 begins on page 1766 of your pew Bibles. This is the conclusion of the book, and it's, um, well, it is what it sounds like. I don't really have anything helpful to offer in the setup for this. We're just going to read through it, and then uh, we have somebody joining the church membership today. So I I don't think we need the full 25 minutes for this. We'll see. Sometimes I get wound up, but there's not much to get wound up on in this chapter. Listen to the word of God. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church in Cancrea. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people and to give her any help she may need from you, for she has been the benefactor of many people, including me. So Phoebe, of course, you know, is a female name. Um, At the uh, uh, end of this, in some translations, it notes that Phoebe is the one who actually brought the letter to the church in Rome. Uh, It seems pretty obvious that she is listed first for that reason. This letter, as you'll see in a bit, was not written by Paul. It was dictated by Paul to a scribe who wrote it down. And then Phoebe is the one who transported it from where he was to Rome. Um, Now, there is something to be said. We find ourselves at this point in history where the United Methodist Church and several other denominations have taken a stand on women in ministry and leadership. And you can look in the Bible and you can find plenty of women in leadership roles, Phoebe being one of them. She is a deaconess. And deaconesses, if you read Acts of the Apostles, it's very clear that women were active in the early church, even before Acts of the Apostles. If you read the Gospel of Luke in particular, it goes through great lengths to show that Jesus was surrounded by women at different times. He had women benefactors. He had uh, that, A benefactor is one who funds ministry, and so he calls her a benefactor here, um, Phoebe. But also there have been women part of the equation for a long time. Now, the, the church... Up until just 100 years ago, all sectors of the church, other than a few Pentecostal-esque denominations, said that women can take leadership roles in the community, however, not a teaching role. And so we've had a a time for the last 100 years where people have largely been speaking past each other in the way that they look at the Bible because clearly women were in leadership. The question is, does that leadership extend to the proclamation of the word and instruction of men and women in the body. And there are many uh, denominations today who say, yes, women can lead, but they should not be instructing men. And then there are other traditions like ours that say, it's not a big deal. Women, men, they're interchangeable in the pulpit. Women can proclaim the word just fine. Look at the strong female leadership that you see all throughout the New Testament. So maybe someday I'll preach on this, but it's, it's a divisive issue. Um, what, what I often find myself wanting to do with Methodists is just cautioning them. They often get so uppity about, oh, 
They don't acknowledge women in ministry. They're, they're, they're not Christians. I can't acknowledge them as a Christian. That is something I would consider. Uh, we were talking last week about people with unnecessary scruples, okay, extreme scrupulousness. There is a, a term called adiaphora, which means that we can have differing opinions on and still be in fellowship together. And that's what I think the, the issue of women in ministry is I, I think we're in a bad way if we say, well, we can't be in relationship with any Reformed people because they don't acknowledge women in ministry. I, I think we just have to acknowledge, hey, when you have thousands of years of history and you have explicit words of Paul, then if we are going to change our understanding of that, we need to do so with humility and meekness, not with pride. You understand what I'm saying? We get prideful. We say, we're Methodists and we do things this way. We forget Methodists didn't even have female clergy until 100 years ago. Uh, we existed long before that, and yes, John Wesley lifted up some women for a proclamation role. However, ordaining them as priests in the Church of England, he never did. So this is something that we, we, we hold uh, lightly and humbly. And we also look to people like Phoebe, and we go, what a, what a good, the fact that Paul is going to acknowledge her before any men really says something about the ancient uh, Christian culture. The fact that, that Paul is not going to defer to uh, patriarchal norms and not list the women and only list the men. Rather, he, he lifts up the women um, to acknowledge them. All right, so uh, verse 3. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. So what's coming is he is going to be telling them to greet or salute Lots of people in the Roman church. So Priscilla and Aquila are there. We meet them in Acts of the Apostles. Verse 5, greet also the church that meets at their house. So uh, one of the things that y'all may or may not know, the early church didn't have big church buildings like ours. Eventually they, they uh, acquired some larger buildings called basilicas and repurposed them to, uh, for worship. But in the beginning all they had was homes. And people with big homes would welcome the church into their homes. Remember, the church is not the building. The church is the people, right? They would welcome all the people who were in covenant with Christ Jesus together into their homes. And that's where they would have the sacrament of communion. That's where they would often baptize. That's where they'd have the proclamation of the word. It was in homes. So Priscilla and Aquila had a large home in Rome that they were letting the church worship in. Greet my dear friend Epinetus who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. Greet Mary, who worked very hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews who have been in prison with me. They are outstanding among the apostles, and they were in Christ before I was. Greet Ampliatus, my dear friend in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our co-worker in Christ, and my dear friend Stachys. Greet Apelles whose fidelity to Christ has stood the test. Greet those who belong to the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodion, my fellow Jew. Greet those in the household of Narcissus who are in the Lord. Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, those women who work hard in the Lord. Greet my dear friend Persis, another woman who has worked very hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother who has been a mother to me too. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Patrobas, Hermas, and the other brothers and sisters with them. Greet Philologus, Philologus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the Lord's people who are with them. 
So he's just gone down the line. We know who some of these people are through Acts of the Apostles or maybe a couple of the other letters, but a lot of these people uh, aren't known to us. The point here is that they're known to Paul. Have you ever had a conversation with someone where it becomes clear to you that they've gone through the effort to actually do their research on you and know who you are? Um, they might know who you're related to or they might know where you used to work. Uh, you, when you connect with someone who actually knows who you are, has cared to memorize your name and some things about you, that's a form of respect. And this seems to be what Paul is doing at the close of his letter. He's, he's been correcting all these people, and now he's listing them by name to honor them and say, I know you work hard for the Lord. I know what you're doing for the Lord. And so he's, he's calling them out, but in a good way. He's saying, God bless you. God bless you. Give my re respect to so-and-so. And this has a twofold effect. One, uh, lifting up those who are serving. But two, uh, wouldn't it feel good to have your name listed, right? So there are some people who maybe aren't carrying their own weight and their names are not lifted up here. So this is kind of a, an encouragement. Hey, maybe do something worth me naming you. Verse 16, greet one another with a holy kiss. This is something that Christians did for hundreds of years. Kissed on the mouth. Up until, again, 100 years ago, any Christian assembly had women on one side, men on the other side. They did not have co-ed worship because, if you haven't noticed, men and women distract one another. Sarah Beth and I discovered this finally when we started trying to do uh, small discipleship groups, and we were doing co-ed, and people were not sharing. They were not talking about anything deep. Finally, it cratered, and all that was left was some women, and Sarah Beth started just a women's group, and all of a sudden... They're actually sharing and talking about real stuff. And I finally started a men's group, and the men are communicating so much better than the co-ed group ever did. Men and women distract one another. We like to think that, oh, we're grown-ups. We're not distracted by one another. We don't say, it's not true. <laughs> uh, sex and gender has, has a huge pull over people's minds. And so in the early church and for hundreds of years, when they shared in the holy kiss, they weren't, didn't have you know the passing of the peace that we just had, everybody moving around. It wasn't like that. The men were together and the women were together, and there would come a time where they share in the holy kiss, and the men would kiss one another, not with tongue, of course, all right? Just a kiss on the mouth. Yeah, Joe's face exactly says how we feel about that. It's just a kiss on the lips, and the women would kiss one another as well, just to, because the thing is, okay, so why would we not want to do that in our assembly? Okay, well, okay, one is the germs thing. They, they did... They did kind of believe in germs, not in a microbiological level, but they believed in demons that could pass through touch. Okay, so that's pretty much germs. But why, why would we not want to kiss just another brother in Christ or another sister in Christ? Oh, out of respect for their partner? Well, so if you gave... Uh, a relative uh, gave your daughter a kiss. That wouldn't be disrespecting Robbie, though, right? Right. Right. So, yeah, don't kiss another man. But if you were around other women in Christ, why would we not want you to kiss another woman in Christ, another sister in Christ? <laughs> she says, I don't care. I'll kiss you. <laughs> Most people, it's because kissing is a very intimate thing, right? I, I kiss my wife. And I kiss my kids. And y'all, I said a couple of years ago, I don't like hugging. And y'all never let me forget that. Uh, you, uh, forget that I ever said that. I like hugging. You can hug me anytime. Now, the kissing thing, 
the kissing thing's going to be a bit weird because I'm just so social. It's very intimate. It's very intimate, is it not? But that's the thing is, in the body of Christ, should we not be that intimate? Say that again. I better shave first if you're going to be kissing me. Yeah, we're, I'm not introducing this anytime soon. Um, but I, I did think it was important just to focus on that for a minute because a lot of times we keep each other at arm's length, don't we? we? We come to church and we got our polite, you know, I got my five feet, you know, don't, don't get in my bubble for more than a minute. You know, we can shake hands, but don't, you know, let's not get too personal. And the thing is, the faith of Jesus Christ is, is supposed to be personal. These are supposed to be our brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, when we're saying the only people that I kiss is family, we should feel like family. You know, we should be walking that closely together. And so I think that this in particular was written down so that we would feel convicted. Why don't I want to kiss my brother in Christ? Why, why does that seem icky rather than sweet to me? Let's move on. Um, verse 17. Well, I, I think I didn't get the second half of 16. All the churches of Christ send their greetings. Okay, verse 17. I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. When he says watch out for them, he's not saying take care of them. That's, that's a confusing way of, of translating it. He's saying keep on the alert for them because they're bad. Keep away from them, it says at the end of verse 17. For such people are not serving our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. 19 is kind of a separate thought. This, this warning in 17 and 18, we need to continually be aware of as a church. I've never heard of a church going as long as ours has without conflict. It's really a remarkable thing. It's been years. I've ruffled a couple feathers over the years, but we just have a group here that is not looking to get offended. It's a rare thing in the United States of America. We have a culture where everybody's constantly offended by something. We have a group of people here who've just chosen not to be offended. We're just going to seek truth together. But just because things have gone well the last three years doesn't mean that it's going to go well the next three years. We have to be vigilant against those people that are drawn to division. And there are, it's not just in the church, in every organization almost, there are people who cause division. They sow division. They're, they're unhappy with their personal lives, and instead of dealing with that, they just project it onto whatever situation they're a part of. You know what project means? You got something on the inside of you, you put it on the outside of you. you know? So I can't tell you the amount of times that I've had somebody look at me and hate me who doesn't know me because I represent something to them. They don't know me. I just represent something to them inside of them, some caricature they have in their head. And people step into the church and do that. They have all kinds of stereotypes, all kinds of predilections and biases that they, they want other people to adhere to. And we in the church have to be on guard against that to be able to say, no, 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 we don't, we don't do that here. I know you do that maybe in the other groups. Maybe you see people behave that We don't behave that way in the church. In the church, we get along. And it doesn't matter how smooth their talking is. It doesn't matter how much they flatter or how sweet they are. If they're causing division, that is not of Christ, and we have to stand against that. Verse 19. Everyone has heard about your obedience, so I rejoice because of you. But I want you to be wise about what is good 
and innocent about what is evil. So he's saying they have a good reputation, right? That always feels good to hear. He says, I want you to be wise about what's good, know what's good, be very discerning. And about evil stuff, you really don't need to know, you know? And this is a point of wisdom that, that is lost on a lot of American Christians today. We often feel like we need to watch, like, House of Dragons on HBO, which is full of sex and violence. Or we need to watch all the latest movies that are depraved so that we can know how to minister to people in our culture. That's really, you know, Christ does not expect for us to just dive into the nastiness with the culture around us. Rather, we're called to be pure in an impure world. There are a lot of things we just really shouldn't do. And it doesn't matter if, if it gives us better insight into other people or not. We have to keep our own souls clean. You can't, well, within, within a certain community that I follow, they have a saying, I can't light my kid on fire in order to keep yours warm. And that's how we often look at ourselves. I'm going to light myself on fire to keep other people warm. But the thing is, when you do that, you destroy yourself. And you can't lead anyone to salvation because you yourself have stepped out of salvation. You have to stay firm in your purity, stay innocent, and then stay wise about your goodness. Avoid the evil, be wise to the good. Verse 20, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. That seems like a throwaway line. But in Genesis chapter 3, you remember the story of the fall. Adam and Eve are tempted by the serpent and eat of the fruit of which they should not have eaten, the knowledge of good and evil. And when the Lord discovers it, reveals it, he curses the serpent and the woman and the man. And when he curses the serpent, he says, you will crawl on your belly all the days of your life, and dust you shall eat, and you shall hate the woman and her offspring, and her offspring will crush your head. That is a prophecy about not just Jesus, who stomped Satan's head, but about the church now. We don't realize that Genesis chapter 3, that's verse 15, if you don't know it. In fact, we can, we can go there. Let's just, just look at it. I know I said we wouldn't take much time, but... A, Apparently, I'm a liar. This is page five um, in your Bible. And I will put enmity, he's cursing the serpent, right? I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Yeah, I'm good. I looked at that. I knew I butchered it. So here, this, this uh, prophecy or fulfillment of prophecy that Paul talks about here in chapter 16, verse... 20, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. He's saying the role of the church is to complete the work that Jesus did, which is stomping Satan brains. I know that was kind of grotesque. But we need to understand that we are engaged in a holy warfare. Uh, we're not here to just be nice. We're doing holy warfare against Satan himself and the powers of darkness. And we do it collectively as a church. He's not writing to an individual person. He's saying you all are doing this work together. Second half of verse 20, the grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. Timothy, my co-worker, sends his greetings to you, as do Lucius, Jason, and Sosipater, my fellow Jews. So these are people now with him, riding alongside him. I, Tertius, who wrote down this letter, greet you in the Lord. So he's the scribe that Paul dictated all of this to. So Tertius, just, he's enjoyed it. He says, well, I'm here too, and I'm saying howdy. Gaius, whose hospitality and the whole church here enjoy... I and the whole church here enjoy sends you his greetings. Erastus, 
who is the city's director of public works, and our brother Quartus send you their greetings. Now, to him who is able to establish you in accordance with my gospel, he's talking about the Lord here, right? The message I proclaim about Jesus Christ in keeping with the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all the Gentiles might come to faith and obedience that comes from faith. That is a long run-on sentence, is it not? He's saying that the Lord establishes us by the gospel that Paul preached and is in accordance with Jesus Christ himself. That's why he says my gospel. It's just the good news that he preached. This is the message of the mystery, and the mystery hidden before the ages was that God would save not just the Jews, but all the Gentiles, all humanity, that God would, would open it up. That mystery has now been made known so that all the Gentiles might come to the obedience that comes from faith. That was the end of verse 26. To the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. Who has enjoyed Romans? I've really noticed uh, a deepening of people's faith and engagement with the word as we've done this. I've been very encouraged by this. Um, I want to thank those of you who've gone home and read it on your own and done extra reflecting at home. Um, I would like to hear your reflections on Romans now that we have concluded our time. Uh, we don't have time for it in worship today, but I would love to follow up. Um, I don't know what that would look like. So if you, if you have an idea for a Romans party or something, <laughs> I'm open to that. Um, a Romans party, yes. Yeah we, can, yeah, we can dress in togas, yeah. Is that what you said? Yeah. Casita says no. Um, I've, I've tried to, I, I thought, I should summarize some lessons that I've gotten at it, out of it as I've taken my time with it. And I, I really can't. I really can't. It's just been so wonderful. And, and for me at this point, all of Scripture weaves together so perfectly, so beautifully. Everything is so perfectly balanced. It's just an amazing thing to watch how it weaves in and out of um, Old and New Testament. Um, so next week is All Saints Sunday, and I decided rather than having a, a proof text, a, a starting Bible text, I wanted to talk through each of the people on the bell tree. We always have their picture projected. And I just want to say a little bit about each person. I want to meditate, and then I'll bring some scripture into that. But I kind of want to just have a calm, respectful time where we honor the dead next Sunday. Um, as we've done this more year by year, it's meant more and more to me. So I, I want to urge you to just show up and uh, be mindful of the heritage, the, the, the tall, strong shoulders we stand on.